At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius, who called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning. It's good to be with you all. I crossed the waters by car and learned about parking in Hoboken. I was worried about that whole local permit thing, which I learned was not enforced, so I could have parked right in front of the church, but I didn't. Um, good to be here. Uh, I work for downtown, as was said. Uh, we just started a midweek service literally like uh, two months ago, so uh, we're doing that. So there's an AM, a PM, and, and, and the midweek uh, so I'm excited to, to be a part of that, and I'm uh, excited to be here uh, with the opportunity to preach. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of Ned Flanders? Yes, have you watched The Simpsons? He's, he's Homer, thank you, he's Homer Simpson's perfect Christian neighbor who never does anything wrong, right? He's the heidly ho neighbor, you remember him? Um, I remember one episode where uh, they're all running down this mountain and uh, he hits a, he, he trips and he does like a perfect triple somersault forward and keeps running and Homer trips and hits every single rock all the way down the mountain. And uh, when we look at Cornelius, although he's not Christian, he's what's called a God-fearer, uh, he seems perfect on paper. Uh, I think if Cornelius was on Instagram, he would be totally hashtag blessed, hashtag winning, uh, you know, living his best life now or whatever, because the guy is just a total renaissance man. There's nothing... Uh, it seems like on paper uh, that's wrong with him. If you look practically speaking, looking at his life, um, he's powerful. It says he works uh, for the Italian regiment. He's a centurion. That means he's, he's like an officer. He's in charge of a, a hundred men uh, in one of the most significant cities in ancient Rome. It was a huge commercial port. So he's powerful. Uh, he's respected. He's significant. Uh, he's connected. Uh, he's well-liked, which is uh, interesting also. That's, that was kind of a rare a quality for most centurions. Most centurions were somewhat brutal, uh, so you didn't really like them. You respected them. Most people liked him, and uh, he was wealthy. So he's kind of what so many people, uh, Christian and not Christian, uh, aspire to be. Uh, he's a real winner. Uh, spiritually speaking, it doesn't just stop there. Uh, his whole family is God-fearing, so he's not just a good person. He's got good parenting skills. Uh, he's humble, again, which is unique with all those attributes. You would think pride might be an issue. It's not with him. Uh, and he's a man of prayer. Okay, so we're talking total package. He's like, the, he's, he's like a God-fearing Tom Brady, in a sense. All right, this guy has got it made. But what I find interesting about the text is his good, he's good, it wasn't good enough, which is interesting. As good as he was, as well-liked as he was, as connected as he was, as God-fearing as he was, it still wasn't enough. And God had to send Peter to him to share the gospel with him. 
And I think one of the most unique things about the Christian faith is not so much the good thing, because I think a lot of religions have this idea of being good. Uh, it's an aspiration. Uh, but Christianity is unique in that it, 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 states, it states plainly that good is not good enough. It's just not enough. God doesn't want good. God wants perfect. God wants you to have an abundant life that is much more than just good. And so when you look at Cornelius' life, I think it's interesting that even though he's good, we recognize that not only is he not good enough, but I think all of us, if anybody ever was at a place in their life where they felt, well, yeah, I'm going to heaven, I'm pleased with God because I'm good, I think if you really spent, spent, spent time in, in a little self-reflection, you'd probably realize that, well, maybe you're not that good. I love having conversations with uh, taxi drivers. I love hearing their stories, what they're all about. And I was getting a, a ride to, I think it was Newark, so it was an extra, extra long one. And I was talking to the, uh, to the taxi driver, and we, we got on the subject of beliefs. And I told him I was a Christian. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm, I'm Islamic. We get a bad rap, you know, uh, with Christians. But, you know, we really respect Jesus. I was like, yeah, I know. He's in the Quran, I think, 12 times. Um, he's like, but, you know, he's like, I think it's just so important. You know, I think we're both, we're both basically aspiring to the same thing. We want to be good. We want to live good lives. I was like, yeah. I was like, but. I was like, I got a question. We had, we had, I mean, it was a long ride, so uh, we'd established somewhat of a connection. I said, let me just press you in one area, though. What determines whether or not Allah thinks you're good? Like, what if you're good most of the time? But I bet if you're honest, you've been bad. I mean, come on, you're a taxi driver. You've had to get annoyed. Come on. What, what, what does Allah say to those times where you're bad? Like, what do you do about that? And he didn't really have a clear answer. And so this idea of a perfect God requiring perfection so he can have a relationship with us was something he didn't have an answer for. So that's one thing we want to look at in the life of Cornelius is what had to happen you know, what had to happen in his life to take him from good to perfect? And again, in our own lives, I think when we really think about it, well, am I really good? When I was younger, I'm dating myself, uh, I used to have this huge fear. Uh, it was really whack theology. I don't really know where I got it from. But I just thought, like, when you went to heaven, like, Gabriel or Michael would roll out a VCR, dating myself, and, and kind of show all the dumb stuff you did your whole life in front of everybody. Right, like dancing naked in front of the mirror. I'm not confessing here. I'm just saying, hypothetically, dumb stuff you did that you want nobody to know you did. I thought all those things would come out. And everyone would see that, just projected on HD. All the bad things. They used to scare me. The judgment seat of Christ scared me. The great white throne judgment. These things you read about in Revelation. So what do we do about the bad? And I think the Bible addresses this too. In, in Mark 10, 18, when Jesus is having a conversation with a rich young ruler, the rich young ruler, he says, calls him good teacher. And Jesus wanted to show him that, oh, I'm not just a teacher. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus isn't saying he's not God. He's saying, if you're going to call me good, you need to acknowledge why I'm good. I'm good because I'm God. And only God is good. In Romans 3:23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He rewind 800 years when Isaiah is writing. He says, they are none that do good. No, not one. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And then, of course, he gives a nod to Jesus, and the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. 
So not only I think if we really analyze ourselves, well, we're not really good. I think the Bible says clearly that we're not good enough. God doesn't want good. He wants transformation. God doesn't want good. He wants regeneration. And he wants to make us into something perfect. In John 10.10, Jesus calls that the abundant life. He wants to give us an abundant life to make us perfect for him. But also, I think he wants to regenerate us for ourselves. He wants us to understand what we were meant to live for. All right. So when we look at Peter's life, I think we, it's, it's an important picture that good is not good enough and that God is into the business of regeneration. And I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, For mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people, even here and now, and will in the end improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. So God is looking for transformation, not good. And so the first point as we look at is who is Cornelius in the story? And, and now we want to look at, well, well, who's Peter in the story? Like, why does he come up? He's interesting because he's kind of part of the inner circle. If you look at the life of Peter, uh, often he's mentioned in, in, a, in a threesome of sorts. It's always Peter, James, and John. It was kind of like Jesus' inner circle. He had these 12 disciples, but he, he paid kind of... He, paid special attention, for whatever reason, to these men and the unique ministry that they had. Uh, we, we see him earlier in Acts chapter 2. Peter, you know, he did some dumb stuff, granted. We all know about his failings and whatnot. But when Jesus encouraged him, he, he literally in John 21, he restores him. In Acts 2, his first sermon is he knocks it out of the park. I mean, 3,000 converts. That's a win when it comes to being a pastor. You can preach a sermon and get 3,000 people to convert. God uses you to that degree. That, that's a win. So his first sermon's a win. Not only that, later on, I think it was in Acts 16, he see, or Acts 12, he's part of this, you know, the, Samarit the Samaritans have a revival and come to know Jesus for the first time. He's part of that. And now... God wants him to be part of this kind of gateway to the Gentiles becoming Christians. The Gentiles end up having a church in Antioch that's even larger than the predominantly Jewish church or former, formerly Jewish church that's in Jerusalem. And so Peter's significant, and yet God's not done with him in the text. God's working in Peter's life. It's interesting because, you see, Peter's got a problem with racism, He's got a bigotry problem. He does not like Gentiles, as most Jews did not. You were kind of taught in that culture, which is sad, because remember, the Jews were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, but so often that wasn't the case. To most good Jews, they would say a prayer. A rabbi would say a prayer, thanking God that one, he wasn't a woman, two, he wasn't a slave, and three, he wasn't a Gentile. Gentiles were thought of as fodder for hell. Literally, and Jews did not like Gentiles, and Gentiles did not like Jews. And so God, working in this process, this word we call sanctification in Peter's life. Peter was already saved. So in, in Cornelius' life, we're, we're talking about salvation, regeneration. Peter's already there, but he's, he's being refined, this work of sanctification. If you're, hearing a Christ, if you're here today and you're a Christian... I just want to encourage you and kind of warn you at the same time. God is never done with this process of sanctification. It'll always happen for the rest of your life. 
I think our default dream, I, I came here from California seven years ago. There are different idols, I think, in New York City versus L.A. and Southern California. I would say here, one of the predominant idols, if I, if I looked at used idol talk, would be power, uh, success. You know, you, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere kind of thing. In California, it's all about comfort. Like if you're there, it's because you just want to chill, enjoy the temperate climate, and just, even if you're a Christian, it's just kind of cruise control to the second coming. I just want to, you know, read my Bible, attend church, and collect seashells by the seashore until Jesus comes back. And I'm not saying collecting shells is a bad thing. But all I'm saying is, it's easy to check out and assume that this is it. Well, this is not it, as I hope you know. God wants to not just save you, as he's going to do with Cornelius. He wants to use you as he does with Peter. But we've got issues, unfortunately. We're broken. And so God has to use life, circumstances, people, our relationship with him, these formative things that shape us into the people that he wants us to be. Newsflash, that's often not pleasant. It's not. One thing I do on the side, you know, Manhattan's expensive and stuff, so I have some side hustles, is I'm a personal trainer. When I train people, um, it's often not completely pleasant for them. If you have a trainer and it's always fun and you're never sweating, it's not working. Get your money back and find a different one. I don't want to brutalize people and put them in the hospital. That's usually the fear that people... But no, I want, to hit this, I want to hit this fine line to where you're having fun but you're getting challenged because you need to get challenged to get results. The whole idea of building muscle is you break down muscle tissue so that you can rebuild it. That's the process of anything which you get better in. There's always a part, and you know this, there's always effort, there's always a season of school, there's always a season of training. God's not done with training in Peter's life. So he takes him, and what's interesting is there's a whole process going on. When we read in the text, Peter is at a tanner's house. A tanner is somebody who worked with dead animals, like a taxidermist. A good Jew would never stay with a tanner. It says he's at Simon the tanner's house by the sea, he was by the sea because it was stanky, it was nasty, it was gross. He's got dead animals at his house. You don't want that in the city, so you have to stay by the sea. So it's interesting that even the one place Peter can stay is with a tanner, a Christian tanner. So he's already forced to deal with some of his prejudices, some of his problems. And then, it's not in the text, but Peter has this vision. He falls into this trance and has this vision three times where he sees all these unclean animals to him as a good Jew. And God says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And then while he wakes up from the trance, these three Gentiles that Cornelius sent for Peter show up at the door. So Peter's realizing something. He's realizing that Oh, okay, I'm not supposed to call these people that are created in God's image unclean. And he does the unthinkable that day. It's not a big deal to us, but it was a big deal to Peter. He goes with them. You see, Peter's vertical relationship with God was tight. It was fixed. It was settled. He was God's child. He was a Christian. But his horizontal relationship with people was a mess. And God was not okay with that. And so God is working in Cornelius' life through revealing the gospel to him, but he's also working in Peter's life through applying the gospel in his life. So don't be surprised, I guess, if, if you're here and you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you. There's a reason God's brought you here to church. I think he wants to share more of himself with you.
I did this, uh, we do this thing, these questioning Christianity groups at Redeemer. And these home groups uh, that are for people who are searching, that aren't like, they haven't arrived in their, their faith position. What I found fascinating, I had seven different people, was as I, as I got to know them, I was blown away at the journey that had brought them to this group. Uh, one guy was like, yeah, you know, I was on like, you know, uh, what is it, um, swipe left swipe, or Tinder. I was on Tinder, and he's like, and I'm just like hooking up left and right, and I'm just miserable. I'm not finding any long-lasting relationship. I tried this different. I'm like, hey, why not try a Christian dating site? And so I did, and I met this good Christian girl. Then it turns out she can't marry me because I'm not a Christian. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, so I'm here because I want to know about God and stuff. And I'm like, all right, that's noble. And, and, um, and as I got to know him, he's like, yeah, I really like this relationship. And of course, she doesn't want me just to fake it, and I don't want to fake it. But it's interesting. My, my sister became a born-again Christian three years ago, and my mom did last year. And I'm like, and of all the people you, know, you meet on, in, in, in the dating world, you find yourself in love with, a Christian. I'm like, that's interesting. You know, another gal came to me. She's like, yeah. She's like, I didn't go up Christian or anything. Uh, but I just, you know, I was on the Peace Corps. I was in Costa Rica. And I just all of a sudden wanted to start praying. I didn't even know why. I didn't even know how to do it. And I met this guy from this church called Redeemer in Costa Rica who was also with the Peace Corps. And he's like, do you want to learn how Christians pray? And I was like, no way. Totally not. Ugh, no. It's so archaic. And then as I met the guy... He was such a lovely guy that I'm like, well, maybe I would like to learn how Christians pray. And I just totally became a Christian in Costa Rica. And then I realized I grew up next to this Redeemer church. I was three blocks away, so I've been coming. And as I got to meet these people, I'm like, it's so wild how God was after them their whole life. You don't wake up and just decide to choose God. Everything in you kind of is in rebellion to God, believe it or not. If you've decided to seek God, it's because God's working in your life and pulling you towards himself. So if you're here and that's you, you're in a good place. And I, and I hope you really do understand clearly that Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life and wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be good. He wants to change your life and regenerate you. But if you're here, which is most of you probably, and you're a Christian, I want to encourage you something else. The process that God works in your life is never over. And if your life is going through some challenges, it's okay I think Peter was going through major challenges. These are, these are cultural blind spots that needed to be ripped open, and he's in the midst of it. So I want to encourage you, if you're going through a process of change right now, don't get mad at God or think, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's really normal, and, and it's to be expected. And uh, that process of sanctification, it's not often pleasant, but it's a good thing. And so Peter is getting transformed as, uh, again, in his horizontal relationships. He was far from the man God wanted him to be. And I think it's also exciting. He's calling him to something new. This Gentile thing was a new thing. And I really think, you know, in the Bible it likens Christians to being clay. A follower of God is good clay. You know, clay is moldable and it's in the potter's hand. And I think if you can remain like that, God will do amazing things through you. And so we looked at the life of Cornelius... We looked at the life of Peter, and now I want to look at how does the gospel speak into the lives of both men particularly. I think one key thing, first point, is it's interesting that God knows us. I think that's what's, what blew me away about this text is I love how this angel shows up, and he calls Cornelius by name. I think sometimes we feel unknown, unloved, 
And it's beautiful to me that the Bible says that God, he doesn't just know you. Kind of like our, the brother who was sharing earlier in that prayer, knowing what your children needs. Isn't it cool? God knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of tears that you cry. He knows you inside and out. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knew Cornelius. And he wanted Cornelius to know him more clearly. And I think that's so beautiful. The Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. When Moses, in the Old Testament, he wanted to see God. He said, show me your glory. Do you remember God's response? He's like, I can't. My glory will kill you. My goodness will destroy you. Have you... That's beautiful. You, you know, drop-dead gorgeous is hypothetical. No one's so hot that they kill you when they look at you, right? There's no one that good-looking. That doesn't exist. But God literally does. He's like, no, it's too much. And so Moses is like, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take you, and I'll let you see my passing glory. And I'm going to have to stick you behind an entire mountain and put my hand up to shield you so you don't die from it. I mean, that's what we're talking about. It's interesting when angels show up. Now, these aren't even, this isn't God. These are just angels showing up from the presence of God. They always freak people out. The response is usually, it's not like, wow, awesome. It's fear. The word usually used is phobos in Greek. It means straight up petrified. Because we're not designed to handle that level of glory. And those are just agents coming from the presence of God. We're not talking about God himself. In the Old Testament, Daniel encountered these angels and sometimes encountered the angel of the Lord, which was a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. He would become sick for days, the Bible says. That's why you need a new body when you go to heaven so you can experience all the glory and magnificence. So this God who dwells in that unapproachable light was willing to step down into our world and know you. And that's a beautiful thing about the gospel. That's a beautiful, that, that was what blew me away about Christianity. I grew up Baptist and Buddhist. My mom was Buddhist, my dad was Baptist, and I kind of had this interesting mix of both religions. But the one thing that, that just enamored me about Christianity as I got older is I've never seen a, a religion where God pressed in so much. Every other religion I looked at, it was always me trying to do stuff to get to God whether I chant or eat a vegetarian diet or take a pilgrimage or follow four pillars of this or, or, or an eightfold plan of this, Ten Commandments here. I never saw anything so beautiful as a gospel where God would leave all that holiness behind and enter my world because he loved me and wanted to save me from myself. That blew me away. I didn't see that in any other religion anywhere. So one thing we see about the gospel in this story is that God knows us, and I think that's beautiful, but he's also not impressed by us. I think that's also funny. The idea that we can be good enough is interesting. Like, God knows our frame, and the Bible says he remembers we're just dust. The Bible says that on our best day, it says that our righteousness, our righteousness, the best we can offer God is like a filthy rag before his holiness. So even on your best day, you're far, far, far from the holiness that God is. So God knows us. He's not impressed by us, and yet he still loves us. That's another thing that blows me away. He loved Cornelius. He loved Peter. And when you look at both their lives, Peter's kind of a train wreck. He's like the only guy in Scripture that I know who said no to Jesus on three different occasions. And here's Cornelius, 
who on paper, works-wise, is probably better than Peter, yet both men are far from God, yet Jesus loves both men, wants to save one and regenerate him, and wants to sanctify and teach the other one. Why? Because he loves them. Your circumstances will change. They will be up and they will be down. But how do you know God loves you? Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means on your suckiest, lowest, worst day, on the day you got up and you skipped your devotions and you yelled at your kids and you fought with your wife and you cursed at the guy in front of you in the car or whatever, on your worst day, there are probably days you can remember that are worse than that, that's the day God loved you the most. So how do I know God loves me? It's not my circumstances. Those are going to be good or bad, whether you're a Christian or not. It's because of the cross. And so God knows us. He's not impressed by us, yet he still loves us. In Acts 10, 34-35, it says, Then Peter began to speak. Peter has this epiphany. I now realize how true it is when he shows up to, the, to, to Cornelius' house and he sees what God's doing in his life. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts. The word literally means welcomes. Welcomes from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. But here's the problem. Like I said earlier, nobody does what is right. So we're kind of hopeless. We're, we're kind of out of luck. But that's where that Romans 5.8 comes in. That's where we know God's love, God loves us. He presses in and he does what we can't do. The beauty of the gospel, when, when Peter says God accepts and welcomes from every nation those who respond to the gospel, basically, is Jesus was willing to be rejected so that you and I could be accepted. On the cross, one of the last things that Jesus cried out was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the answer. He was forsook so we could be accepted. God gave up all of that holiness and gladly took on our sin so he could give it to us. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's what he did in the life of Cornelius. He revealed that to Cornelius and we didn't get there in the text because it's massive. Sorry about that. But in the end, Cornelius and his entire family responds to the gospel. The Holy Spirit changes their lives. They're transformed in an instant in that household. He goes from being good to being transformed and perfect because of the gospel. It clicked. He recognized the missing ingredient in his life was Jesus, and he responded to it. The fourth thing, if you're keeping track, God knows us, not impressed by us, loves us, but God wants to use us. I think that's so cool too. You see, the angel, he shows up and he talks to Cornelius. The angel's the one who spends time with God. He's in the presence of God. So if anybody could have articulated the gospel, clearly it would have been the angel. A chapter before, Jesus himself shows up and shares the gospel with Saul when Saul converts. And yet in this situation even though it would be more efficient for the angel to share the gospel and probably more clear and better, and I would, have, I would think Cornelius, he's freaking out. If an angel would have told me how, to, how do I please God and accept God, I'd, I'd listen. He chooses instead, he's like, yeah, a guy named Peter, he's kind of a bigot, he's 35 miles away, he's going to come share the gospel. It blows me away that God wants to use us despite us. And I want to encourage you today, God wants to use you. Christianity is not a spectator sport. 
He wants to use you right where you're at with all your issues as he's working in your life and revealing more things to you. So I encourage you, ask, what do you want me to do, God? What are you calling me to do? And maybe it's something out of the ordinary. Maybe it's something uncomfortable. Maybe it's something that you, just until the last few months, got to put this on your heart. I talked to a girl last week. She's like, I've been coming to church, and it's been, Japan has been on my mind. And I don't know why, because I'm not even Japanese. But I really, I really feel a burden for it. And I'm like, yeah, you should talk to Christina. She heads up missions, and there's actually a city-to-city church plant there. Maybe God's calling you to go on a mission trip there. and Maybe it starts there. Maybe you just pray for it. I don't know. But I think it's important to recognize that God wants to use you. It's just the way it works, and that's kind of awesome. It's kind of humbling to me. It's kind of freeing to me. I think sometimes we don't share the gospel. We don't tell people about our faith. We don't live public faith, as we say, at Redeemer across the water. We don't live our lives publicly because I think, one, we're afraid, but I just want to free you from that. You're not going to change anybody on your own. If anybody converts or responds to the gospel, it's because God's doing something in their life already. Peter literally shows up. It's like a slam dunk. God's already done everything. He's just like the mailman. He's just delivering the news, and it's done, though. So I want to free you from something. It's not you who needs to convert anybody. God will do that. You just live a life that's different. You pray. You speak when God opens the door. God does the rest. But God wants to use you right where you're at. But I want to take the pressure. It's God doing it all. He's the one working and executing change. And the good news, church, last time I checked, we're connected to the head, which is Jesus. Last time I checked... You know, spoiler alerts are usually bad. You don't want to hear the ending. In the Bible, they're good. You can read. We win, all right? The church, regardless of the culture, we win in the end. It might ebb and flow, but God using us in our brokenness, working through our issues like he did with Peter, we win in the end, in case you forgot, right? And then finally, I think, you know, God wants to use us, and you see that in the life of Peter, God wants to change us, and there's a process there. Let it happen if he's working in it. But finally, I think God wants to unify us, and I think that's what's so beautiful, too. Ironically, in the world right now, it's all, everybody wants to be, you know, the idea of, uh, I, want, I was just looking at the, you know, have the courage to be yourself. In, in this world where it's all about yourself and what you feel inside matters more than anything else, it's hard to be unified, you know, because you're always looking out for number one. But I think the beauty of the gospel is it goes beyond yourself and it puts it out. And, the, and there's unity in the gospel because you recognize one thing. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much money you make. We are all sinners in need of a Savior who can transform our lives. And that is remarkably unifying, regardless of what your struggle is or what your big sin is. We're unified in the fact that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And that's what brought these two men together. And that's what clicked in Peter's life. So three things, three questions, I think, is have you made him your own today like Cornelius has? Is there something God's putting on your heart today that you need to do? Maybe some sin, maybe some disposition, maybe some area of small rebellion in your life that you need to let go of as Peter did. And are you in a process today that you're frustrated by? As we take time to respond to God, I want to encourage you, see God and say, God, what are you working in me that's so hard right now? 
What am I fighting? What is challenging? What am I mad at you about, maybe? What is so hard in my life right now that I've been kind of discerning as, as a lack of love coming from you? I just want to encourage you, God loves us because of the cross. Every other circumstance is shaping us. So if you're in process today, be encouraged and find prayer. When our sister who's a deacon uh, is around, then I'm happy to pray for you too, as I'm sure the elders here are. Uh, Find prayer today if you're in any of those categories I just mentioned. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that uh, you're a God who presses in and pursues. Uh, You pursued Cornelius and want to reveal more of yourself to him. And so we thank you for that fact, God. If anyone's here today and they're still seeking you, I haven't arrived at their conclusion. We thank you for this picture in Scripture of how you're okay with that, God, and you're in the business of revealing more. And maybe today is revelation enough for the...